Well, good morning. I feel like I'm in the jungle here. It's beautiful. Thank you. Whoever does these beautiful decor, I think it's Vicky and some others in our church, want to just appreciate that little effort. I think it's meaningful, don't you? It's great. Welcome. Yeah, it's good. Thank you, guys. I want to welcome you to Palm Sunday service. I'm going to have you stand this morning. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I know that there are people in our congregation, and I'm sure there's some that are watching us live stream. You need a miracle in your life. You need God to do something. You need God's intervention. And we have a, a family that I've known for a long time. Uh, the husband, his name is Earl Halsey, fell off a ladder and uh, landed on his head. They've rushed him about four or five days ago to Calgary's in the intensive care. He's hovering between life and death. So we're going to pray today for Earl. You know, I've known him. And we're going to believe for a miracle in his life. But I also know there are other people right now in crisis. There's people that have lost a loved one recently. I just went to the hospice last night. Someone is about to lose a loved one in our, our church family. And so there are needs all around us. How many here can say, you know, Pastor, I need a miracle today. Does anybody need a miracle besides the ones I've mentioned? Yeah, look how many people's hands are going up. Uh, there might be a financial need. It could be a relational need. It could be a physical need. And I, I believe today, I, I've had such an amazing morning in my own quiet time with God. I believe that miracles are going to be released today. I just sent it in my spirit. And for some of you today, you've been walking with burdens in your heart. You've been uh, frustrated and upset and all of those things. I believe that we can come in a certain condition but have an encounter with the true and the living God and leave transformed. Amen. How many believe that? You can actually have an encounter with God on a Sunday morning that can literally change the whole course of your trajectory, not only of, uh, of the days to come, but in your entire eternity. Because if we connect with Jesus Christ, he can change everything in our lives. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that we can come in your wonderful name, Jesus. You've given us access into the very heart of the Father. Lord, we're in your very throne room right now. We can bring the needs. And I think of Earl right now. He needs your miraculous touch, Lord. And I, I know that you're the God of the miraculous. Everyone that comes to you, that's a miracle. It moves people from death to life. But there's even other miracles that you are still performing today, miracles of healing, miracles that are setting people free from uh, bondages in their life. And right now, Father, I pray for financial miracles, relational miracles. I pray for physical, emotional miracles to happen, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified and that you would confirm your amazing word with signs following, Lord. I pray that you would actually move supernaturally in this service today, and for those that are hearing online, something will be deposited in our innermost being, a transaction, a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that would bring about transformation, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You're in agreement. I tell you, if one or two, it says if two or three would agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done for them, and I believe that God wants to do some powerful things. You know, there is such a longing for peace in our hearts. You know, people are living with anxieties. They're living with torment. And then I think not only is there a longing for peace, there's a struggle for freedom. And sometimes we see that engaged uh, in countries. We see that in the military sort of way. We see that in legislation. We can see it in so many different ways reflected. But there is a cry of the human soul for peace and freedom in our lives. And to think that we could attain peace and freedom away from God kind of self-autonomously, you know, cutting God out of the equation will never bring us to those two fundamental cries of the human spirit, that you and I would have peace and we would have freedom from torment and anxiety and burden and all the other things that happen in our lives. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says the demand for absolute liberty brings men to, depth, to the depths of slavery. You know, so often we try to accomplish it in our own abilities, and it never produces what we want. And so, you know, we're going to take a look today at God's offer of peace. And I want to take a look at this idea of the peace that God wants to bring, kind of in two, two ideas that you need to separate in your minds. First of all, there's the peace with God. 
that you and I can be reconciled to our Father in heaven. That's the peace with God. But I think there's also an element that many times as Christians we lose sight of, and it's the peace of God. And in the midst of a challenging time in our life, we can begin to despair, and we lose that sense of that peace that that passes human understanding, that peace that can sustain us in life's most difficult moments. And all of a sudden, we end up succumbing to these anxieties and these fears and the distress and the torment that comes into our lives because we have all this pressure around us, and it seems to weigh us down. And so today, my prayer is that we're going to walk in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God, as Paul says to the Romans, is not meat nor drinks, but it's righteousness, being in a right relationship with God. And then it says, and peace and joy. And how many would like to leave this place so full of peace and joy and righteousness that your situations have now lifted, your spirit has lifted, and you're walking in that freedom and that joy and that, that peace that God promises in his word. And I believe we can experience that. So what is our only hope for true freedom? And I think as we're going to look in our text, there was uh, Jesus is now coming to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, there's impending judgment. He, nobody sees that but Christ. He sees what's ahead. And then he says something uh, a little later on in, in Luke's gospel. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, but in chapter 21, he says something that I think we need to hear right at this moment. I want to just slip that in because when he, when he says, when, when you see people in anguish, perplexity, terror, and apprehension. Okay, are we living in that time right now? Let me, let me just outline these again. Okay, when you see people in anguish, perplexity, terror, and apprehension. Is that the hour we're living in? Do you know what Jesus says to do? When you hear of wars and rumors of wars and all of these problems, earthquakes in many diverse places, he says to the believers, lift up your heads. But what we tend to do is look around. And what we do is we get worked up and frustrated and fearful and upset, right? But Jesus, lift up your head. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. So, we're living in a moment when we see much that could dismay our hearts, but I believe as we embrace the divine perspective, may we respond with hope for the future and not despair, because I believe that that's what Jeremiah tells us. God, they were in the midst of a time of judgment, and yet Jeremiah says, hey, God says, I got a future for you guys. I've got good things in store for you, and I think we need to begin to grasp you know, as we look around and see maybe the problems, I think we have to look past the problems sometimes and see that Christ is in these situations. These things have not caught God unaware. Even when we may feel powerless in our current situations, I think we need to embrace the hope that God has an ultimate plan. We need to hear what he has to say. So I've already mentioned this. That's why I'm moving past it. Uh, we, what we think may not be what God intends. We often get the narrative wrong in our lives. That's true. And I'm going to make a statement because I, I, I can say this because I've been a Christian a long, long time now. Often in the moment, you know, we may think we fully under, understood, but it only comes to us in hindsight. So I, I want to just say to us very carefully now, when we're in the midst of a challenging time in our lives and we're evaluating it, be open to correction. Be open to say, I'm going to trust God, though I may not fully grasp what's going on. I may not fully understand it. Because once you go through the experience and on the other side are looking back, many times you realize while you were in it, you didn't understand it. And while you were in it, you were questioning things. And while you were in it, you were wondering where God was in it. And you were wondering why God allowed it to happen in your life. But it only comes on the other side that you can look back and begin to glean the lessons and the wisdom from those experiences in our lives. And often our disappointments that lead to disillusionment can occur because we have the wrong perspective and understanding of what God is doing in our lives at this precise moment. We're making quick judgments. 
Now, why do I say all of that? Because we're going to look at the story of Palm Sunday. You know, I've preached this area in the Bible year after year after year, but what I'm going to share today, I've never said before. This is all new. It's not new to the Bible. It's just I've never said it this way before. That's what I'm telling you. Now, how many realize that Palm Sunday has to be understood in its context? And Luke frames it for us in Luke chapter 19. First of all, you have the story in chapter 19, verse 1, of the story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus gives a summary statement of the entire book. He says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. I want you to hang on to that thought. That's a very important thought to understand Palm Sunday. Okay? Then... What we need to realize is that the people had an expectation. They were waiting for the Messiah. They had read the Old Testament. They believed the Messiah was coming and was going to bring deliverance into their lives. And that's, those things were all true. But they misunderstood how it was going to transpire and how it was going to come about. And they also thought it was going to happen now. They were in the moment. This is what God's going to do in this moment and Jesus, realizing that, tells them a parable. It's interesting. Uh, and I think we have to understand uh, that parable, and we're going to get there in a moment. Now, Jesus knew that he was coming not to just get rid of the tyranny of Rome. By the way, Rome was a, was a very totalitarian regime. You know, it, it's terrible. I mean, I don't think, we, if we'd have been living in it, you would not have liked it. The majority of Many, many people were in slavery. It was brutal. It was oppressive. It was excessive taxes. There was no freedom there. And, uh, but Jesus came to deal with a greater power. He came to deal with the power behind Rome. You see, many times we're looking at the political situations of our world, and we're looking at it strictly from a natural perspective. But there's a power behind that power. That's what you and I need to understand. And so Jesus is going to deal with the bigger problem. And the bigger problem to humanity is the issue of sin and death. And Jesus is going to deal with man's ultimate issues. He's coming to bring his kingdom to this planet, which is going to address the big problems of life. So here he is. He's going to come as a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of humanity. And nobody picks this up in all of the studies. You know, I, I have a book on the Jewish's expectation of the Messiah in the first century, and nobody picks up in the Jewish thinking of a suffering Savior. None of them pick it up. That's not their expectation. So you can understand why they're having a problem identifying many times with what Jesus is telling them. As the king of peace was now coming to the city of peace, that's what Jerusalem means. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is coming. He's the king of peace. He was prepared to defeat the power of darkness, not through human conflict. This is amazing to me. But rather through surrender to the eternal plan of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They had already agreed. This is how we're going to do it. In bringing peace and freedom for all time, for all of humanity. Jesus was not even just going to focus on the Jewish nation, even though he loved the Jewish nation. He, was, you know, he came as a Jew, and he still loves the Jewish people. But God doesn't just love Jewish people. God loves all people. This plan was so much bigger. Isn't that amazing? Hey, you know God's plan is always bigger than our plan? How many believe that? And you see, you and I need to understand that God's scope of interest is, extends way beyond our own, which is awesome. And so often in our lives, we have, we have a little viewpoint and we, we think God should be doing certain things for us you know, it would really help us if we would start to say, you know, God, you have a big game plan. I'm very content with just fitting into your plan. I don't have to be the principal player. I'm just happy to be on stage with you. You know, I just happen to be a part of what you're doing. So I want to take a look here at three movements that we're going to find that are very distinctive in the Palm Sunday story. And I'm going to take a look at the first one. It's the announcement. Jesus' actions now are going to both be prophetic and illustrative of who he is. He's actually going to tell people, I'm the Messiah. Okay? And I think that's important. And the disciples, they're getting excited. How many know they've been waiting for this moment? I mean, they're really revved up. He's about now to announce he's the, he's the Messiah. There's an expectation you can't believe. They think 
The kingdom of God is now going to come in its fullness, and that's the end of the Romans, and that's the end of all oppression, and our nation will rise to the surface from the bottom, and it's going to be so exciting. And, and they're, they're just cranked. You can just see how cranked up they are. You can get a feeling of it. As a matter of fact, Matthew, when he, he talks about it, it said the whole city was shaken. It's The word there in the Greek is seismic. It means there was, it was like almost like an earthquake. There was just, you ever been in a, a moment where there was so much fervency and expectation? You and I probably can't even get a sense of the, 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 the dynamic of it. Maybe you've been in a large crowd of people and there was great enthusiasm. You know, I had the privilege of going to Promise Keepers a couple times and you get 60,000 men serve, worshiping God. You know what that's like? That's, that's dynamic. You know, this was probably just like that, maybe more, because they, they estimate at times the Passover feast in that season, they would get up to a quarter of a million people in Jerusalem. Can you imagine the excitement in the air? There was a vibrancy there. I just want to paint the picture for it so we get it, you know. And then Jesus, just before he gets there, he tells them a parable. I think we need to understand what Jesus is doing. Look what it says in Luke 19.11. While they were listening to this, Jesus explains his purpose in coming. I've already said that, verse 10, to seek and to save which was lost. He goes on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. It was going to happen now. And what does Jesus do is he says, no, it's not going to happen right now. How many know we have a hard time listening to Jesus? How many know that when you and I have our mindset on an idea, you know, we just take what Jesus says and we, 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 we just push out the parts we don't want to hear and we only hear the parts we want to hear? Are we not guilty of that? How many here can honestly admit that when people are talking to you and I, that many times we just hear the parts we want to hear and if we, we hear something we don't want to hear, we just don't, that just goes right on by. I didn't even catch that. I didn't hear that. I don't want to hear that, right? I mean, they were really excited about the Messiah coming now, and Jesus is just trying to lower their expectation a little bit about what's about to happen. So Jesus, you know, he basically says to them, oh, no, the king is going to go away for a long time. I'm giving you a job to do. I'm going to give you minus. I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you gifts. I'm giving you an, a sense where you're going to be accountable to me. I'm giving you the kingdom, but you're going to have to, you know, wait to have the full realization of the kingdom of God coming later on. And I want you to be faithful because if you're not faithful, you're going to get into trouble. And one of the great challenges in the Christian life is to be faithful. And I can honestly say this as, as a pastor for a long time. I mean, a long time. And I've, I've been serving Christ for a long time. How many Christians start out great? They're excited. They're enthusiastic. They're going to win the world. I always think that's great. And then they start petering out. And I try to tell people, guys, I'm so glad you're running. But let me point out to you, this is a marathon. How many know you run marathons differently than you run, you know, sprints? Just a totally different kind of running. And so what God wants us to do is to develop and prepare and mature and to serve and to serve. And you know, when you're serving over the years, sometimes you get tired. Ah, you can get weary. Bible says, don't get weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you don't faint. And then eventually the parable ends the, of the, at, with the summary statement of a returning king who's been rejected. And as a result, judgment becomes the final outcome. And it says in verse 27, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Wow, that's a pretty intense statement. But Jesus recognized that not everybody would accept him. And the movement of the text then immediately brings us to the city of Jerusalem where we have this beautiful incident of Palm Sunday and the offer of peace that Jesus is making but he knows something they don't know. You see, the disciples are caught up with it happening now, and Jesus realizes that that's not going to happen right away. And he's tried to prepare them, but they didn't hear him. They didn't get it. Verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethphage and uh, Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which not, no, no one has ever ridden. ridden. 
Jesus is about to fulfill the words of the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Now, Jesus is going to fulfill this text of Scripture. But I want you to notice how he comes. Righteous and victorious, lowly in humility, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? Now, you can imagine the Roman soldiers watching this triumphal procession into the city of the king of the Jews, right? You know, a bunch of people throwing their coats down. Luke doesn't even mention the palm branches. Uh, you know, they're throwing their coats down, and Jesus is riding on a little donkey. And if you're a Roman there, a Roman soldier looking at this, you're thinking, what kind of a joke is this, right? I, I mean, think about it. I mean, this doesn't look like much of an event, but people are going nuts, you know? Now, the Pharisees understand what's going on. They know that this is a messianic act. So Jesus is making a declaration. He is declaring to the people he is their Messiah. That's powerful. And you can see the adoration. When they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their coats, their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus on it. This is all an act of worship. They recognize that Jesus is acting out this text of Scripture. Marvin Pate says the disciples' action was tantamount to proclaiming that, uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the king. We'll get there. Now as they move towards Jerusalem, there's a marvelous declaration that Jesus is the king. And we have that very familiar story here in Luke's rendition, the rejoicing, and they're stating rightly, he's the king. And Jesus is the king, by the way. And he's fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies. In verse 36, and as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. I mean, this is, this is the high point of Jesus' ministry. This is a great moment, Right? Can you hear the disciples are rejoicing? How many, I mean, if you're locked in and you think this is the moment that the Romans are going to be defeated and Jesus is going to ride into the temple and set up his kingdom, and, and, you know, just remember something. You go, it looks a little ridiculous to the natural mind because you're thinking he's got, this is his army, a bunch of, you know, broken people just been healed from diseases and running into town here. They're going to de destroy the, the Roman Empire. Can, but, you know, you have to remember something. They know who Jesus is. They know he's the Messiah. He's God's anointed one. He's God's promised one. God has power. How many know when you read the Old Testament, God did miracles. God defeated alien armies. You know, walls came down. You know, God was able to destroy, you know, 185,000 Assyrians in one night by, by an angel of death. They had every reason to believe this was the moment. They were so, they were so pumped. They were so cranked up. Are you getting a sense of the scene that's going on? I have to keep painting this picture so you really get it in your mind, what's happening here, all right? And then it says um, in verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's interesting that Luke records no mention of peace on earth because he knows that's not what's about to happen. You know, even though he had said when Jesus was born there would be peace on earth, he knows that this is not the moment when it will be fully realized. And so we move to the next movement in the story. So while the disciples are just going berserk, there's an undercurrent. How many have ever seen, you know, mighty rivers and it looks like, you know, what's happening on the surface is not what's really happening underneath. There's an undercurrent. And there was a huge undercurrent happening in Jerusalem. And Jesus recognized that undercurrent, and we get a little sense of it. You know, there's a tremendous hostility from the population of the city towards Christ. That's the part we don't understand. Because, you know, Judea is unlike Galilee. There was a rejection of Jesus. You say, what? Yeah. I've already read this. Let's take a look here in John's gospel. Remember what happens when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's only six days before this moment. It just, just recently happened. And John says it this way. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling body. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. In other words, they're terrified that this is going to transform the whole political landscape of their country. And these guys currently are benefiting from the existing structure. How many know it's hard to change the people who are benefiting from existing structures? It's always more difficult, okay? Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke to me. He says, you guys know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish? He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Isn't that neat? So what was meant for evil, what's, what's going to happen? He's, he's basically saying, we've got to kill this guy. That'll, that'll spare our nation from destruction. And God goes, that's exactly what he's doing. He's dying for the nation, not to destroy it, but to save it. But not in the way the high priest thinks. And not only for that nation, he said, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. See, God's plan is far bigger than the people anticipated. Aren't you glad God has a bigger plan? How many like that? I like that. God has a bigger plan. Oh, I love it. Okay. From, from, and then from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Ooh, that's not nice. You know, therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. So how many are getting a sense now there was so much tension in that region that Jesus' life was in jeopardy? See, I, I don't think we always pick up on that. The fact that Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, he was putting himself at risk. Because the people there were not supportive. And so there's this undercurrent. Yeah, there were disciples that were following Jesus. But it's, it, there's a collision happening between two groups of people right now. You know, I don't think the people changed their minds in the course of a week. I just think what we didn't see was a lot of people had jumped in that were followers of Christ on Palm Sunday. But by the time you get towards the end of the week, what you have is that undercurrent rising up and overshadowing the believers. That's what's happening here. Well, here's, here's the thing that I think it's interesting, that the Pharisees come to Jesus in the midst of the Palm Sunday entry, and what do they say? Could you tell these disciples to be quiet? <laughs> okay. Now, notice they didn't say that to the disciples. Those guys were gone. I mean, they were having a great time. They said it to Jesus, like, you know, you're, you're, you're inciting really a bad situation here, and, you know, please quiet them down. You're the only one that has control over these guys. But Jesus says to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. So what is Jesus saying? No, they're doing the right thing. I am the Messiah. So what you have, I think, in their statement is a sense of the rejection of Christ as the Messiah amongst some of the people in the city. Howard Marshall points out four possible meanings of this statement of Jesus. If it is not, it is not more possible for the disciples to keep silent than for stones to speak. That could be one way of interpreting it, though I don't think that's the, the meaning of it. If the disciples keep silent, the stones will be forced to proclaim the mighty acts of God instead of them. That's how some people would interpret it. Others say the stones would cry out against those who do evil. This may be taken and referred to the stones crying out against the disciples who would sin by keeping silent. Boy, you can interpret this in a number of ways, but this last one's interesting. The stones crying out against the people who rejected Jesus and silenced the disciples. In other words, the stones that he's talking about are what's about to happen to that city in the days ahead. And if you've ever gone to Jerusalem, one of the things that are really interesting is when you get there, you see where the stones were pushed off the Temple Mount and they were dropped down on the streets. And literally, the, the city was leveled, except for a few parts of it. Marvin Pate says, it seems that the fourth view is what was intended by Luke, especially in light of the verses that immediately follow, verses 41 to 44. And that is that the city would be destroyed. The stones would actually be crying out, all right. They'd be destruction. So I'm going to move to the third movement. And that's the consequence of rejecting Jesus as the king of peace. Now, we, we see that Jesus is announcing it, and he's preparing people. Next, we see the rejection of it, not by the disciples, but by the majority of people in Judea, and especially in the city of Jerusalem. And we know that they rejected it because within six days, Jesus is crucified. So we know they're rejecting the king of peace, their Messiah. But what are the consequences? And 
what does that really mean for us today? Because I think that's the more important question. What happens when people reject Jesus' offer of peace? What happens in our lives when we reject his offer of peace? Well, we see what happens here in the narrative, but let's take a look at what happens when we reject his offer of personal salvation. Or, you know, let me go back and say it this way. You know, when we reject that offer of peace with God through Christ, the only way we can be reconciled to God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Peter, in the book of Acts, says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But at this name, the name of Jesus, you know, and Paul says it this way, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is the savior of the entire world. Jesus has come to save humanity. And when we reject Christ, we reject our own salvation. That's how damaging it is. Okay, that's one group of people. But many of you that are listening to me, you said, yes, but pastor, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He, I am reconciled to God. Yay, that's the most exciting, most wonderful, glorious thing. Death itself can't keep you away from him because you now have eternal life because he who has the Son has eternal life. That is so amazing. But let me tell you what we do forfeit, the peace of God. And as believers, sometimes we allow the trials and the temptations and the sorrows and the disappointments and the testings that come into our lives. And all of a sudden, these things begin to overshadow our lives. And we're looking at all of the problems around us, the problems in our family, the problems in our community, the problems in our nation, the problems in our world. And it begins to rob us of that peace in our hearts so that we're like Peter who had been walking on the water and had been doing so good because he had been looking at Jesus. But then the he started to look around beyond Jesus to the wind and the waves. And pretty soon, Peter is sinking in the water because he says, what in the world am I doing? I'm walking on water. This shouldn't be happening. Do you mean I have a peace that passes human understanding and everybody's bouncing around me and I'm walking like I'm in the middle of the hurricane and the eye of the hurricane and I'm in total peace? That's where you and I should be living, folks. We should have the peace of God in our lives that you and I can live in the midst of trial and, and difficulty. And it's not a denial, but you and I have a, a heart full of peace that passes human understanding that's guarding our hearts and minds. You and I are full of the joy of God. You and I now can walk with confidence and actually hear the voice of God and begin to do what God's asking us to do. That sounds good to me. And then instead of getting upset with one another, how many times that a lot of the conflict is because we're, we're agitated, we're frustrated, we're irritated, we say things we shouldn't be saying? You know, wouldn't it be great if we didn't do that and we could just manifest, you know, grace and forgiveness and love? Man, I'll tell you, we'd have a better world. I'm not saying that would solve all the problems, but you and I would be handling it a lot better. And I believe we would be a better instrument in bringing about transformation in that broken world. But I think there's an irony to the story. As Jesus entered the city, what seems to the multitudes a triumphal entrance is a source of intense grief for Jesus. I mean, I think that's fascinating. His disciples are screaming praises and hallelujahs, and Jesus is literally sobbing and weeping loudly. I, it's such a stark contrast. You go, where do you get this, Pastor? Well, verse 41, and as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they're gonna dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. What's Jesus saying? If you reject your salvation, you're doomed. Do you know what's fascinating about this story? There's, there's historical relevance to it because the early Christians, the followers of Jesus were Jewish and they were meeting with the other Jewish believers in synagogues in the city of Jerusalem as well as in the temple. But when the Romans, once they saw that the, that, that the city was you know, gonna be attacked by the Romans, guess who left the city? The Christians. Yeah, they got out because Jesus said this is gonna happen. 
city will be destroyed. And they know this for a fact that the Christians left and went to a little place called Pella, not that far away. And because of that, they were spared. How many say that's good news? You see, if you and I are walking with God and following what he's saying, God, God can lead us out of great trial and difficulty. God can protect his own. You see, you and I need to understand that we just have to walk with God. But the people, I'm, I'm sure the Christians were saying to, their, to the, their neighbors who were Jewish and then the synagogue said, listen, you know what Jesus said? This is going to happen. We're gonna, this city's going to be destroyed. They go, ah, nah, nah. You know, come on. You know what? You don't want to hang in here. Jesus, you know, he did. And you know how people are. They wouldn't believe. And isn't that the way it is right now when you say to people, listen, you need to have come to Jesus. He's going to save us from destruction. He's going to save our world from judgment. Come to Jesus. He will save you. People, ah, I'm not interested in that stuff. But I'll tell you something, Jesus' words came to pass. The city was destroyed. What a tragedy. You know, Joseph, uh, Flavus Joseph, Josephus, he was a Jewish patriot, turncoat, went to the Roman side, and he was an eyewitness of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And he writes in the book, The Jewish Wars, because eventually he tells the story. He says, Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. Now, I, I think the Caesar he's talking about is probably Titus, who was the Roman general, who was the son of Caesar, Vespasian, but within a year became the Caesar. And he ordered it to be leveled so that only the loftiest of towers... Faisal and Hypocus and Miriam, these are the big towers around the city of the wall enclosing the city in the west. He, he said, leave those there. And the latter is an encampment for the garrison that was to remain. And the towers to indicate to posterity the nature of the city and the strong defenses which had yielded to Roman prowess. What's he doing? He's saying, we want to leave a little bit of evidence. This was a great city and we tore it apart. You want to mess with our power? This is what you're going to get. That's what he was telling them. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot. No ground for believing that it had ever been inhabited. Such was the end to which the frenzy of revolutionaries brought Jerusalem, that splendid city of worldwide renown. What is he saying? He said, you know, the Jewish people rose up in revolt. They got destroyed. Didn't work for them. By the way, they didn't learn from that first revolt. They did another one about a, 75 years later from following a false messiah that time. They were again destroyed. Rejection of Jesus leaves us with destruction. And you know how Jesus responds to it? Weeping. When you and I reject Jesus, he weeps. You go, why does he weep? He loves humanity so much. I want you to think about this. Jesus loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, he came and died for us. How many think that's amazing? The love that God has for us and for God himself to come and become a man and, and to lay his life down willingly and become a sacrifice and become the substitutionary sin offering for us and to extend this great offer of forgiveness and we just brush him off. You know why he weeps? Because he can see that once we do that, there's only one end to that. That you and I continue on in our sins and the consequence of sin is always death and that you and I destroy ourselves. And you know the great tragedy is working with people as I watch over and over again as people turn their back on God and then you see the destruction that starts happening in their life. You know, and we have all kinds of labels in our culture today. I know it's not being politically correct, but you know what? Think about some of the things that are happening. We're battling mental health issues like never before. But just remember something. We're a society who's told God to take a hike. So how do you expect to have a healthy mind? You know, Paul says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Isn't it amazing how God brings health to our minds, to our bodies, to our relationships, to our families? It's so amazing to me. Why wouldn't we embrace the king of peace? You know, that word for weeping here is kaleo, which means to weep uh, loudly. 
And the emphasis on the noise accompanying the weeping. While others were rejoicing, Jesus was loudly weeping over what he knew and could see happening. Jesus sees past the momentary joy to the heart of the people who had rejected him as expressed by the Pharisees' attitude and rebuke. I love the way Fred Craddock explains the nature of what a lament really is. He says, a lament is a voice of love and profound caring, a vision of what could have been and of grief over its loss, of of tough hope painfully releasing the object of its hope, of personal responsibility and frustration, of sorrow and anger mixed, of accepted loss but with energy enough to go on. Norman Guyenheis tragically points out the reality that when we reject God's offer of peace and love, he says this, in Jesus, God has proven once and for all that he is indeed the God of love. He is, however, also the God of holy righteousness, the Almighty who is not mocked. We, we lose sight of this. Every nation or person who rejects the opportunity offered by him to be saved through Christ will inexorably be visited by God's judgment. You know, that's reflected. I'm going to just make a statement here. I know some people go, Pastor, you know, I, I make statements, but I want to, I'm going to make a, a new statement because I know some of you are really wrapped up in all the conspiracies. There is a conspiracy. I want you to know that. I've said that before. There is one. I don't know if it's how, you know, how well orchestrated it is, but I know it's spiritual in nature. But I want you to hear what, what the scriptures say, and this should bring real hope. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't lose sleep over it. Don't panic over it, okay? Listen to what the psalmist writes. Why do the nations conspire and its peoples plot in vain? You know, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So there is a, there is a, a pushing away from God. There is a, a secularization that's happening in the culture. Yes, I get all of that, but listen to what the psalmist says. God knows about this. He's not taken off guard. Oh, my goodness, my people are rising up against me. What am I going to do now? You know, he's not in panic mode. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. That's the people talking to God. They feel like they're bound by, you know, they feel like, you know, walking with God is restrictive. Ever heard that to people say that to you? You know, if you serve God, you can't do what you want to do. No, you, you get to do what you, you're supposed to do. And I would argue that people who aren't walking with God, they can't do what they really want to do, and that's be free. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. See, God goes, oh, you guys got to be kidding me, you know? This would be like, you know, I don't know, an ant trying to take on an elephant. I mean, this doesn't make any sense to me. You know, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. In other words, God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I have a king. His name is Jesus. He's ruling and reigning. He's going to take over the whole planet, by the way. Just get ready for it. It's coming. That's the hope I have. That's what the hope I'm living in. I'm not worried about these other characters. They're all going to come down. There's a new king coming. His name is Jesus Christ. He's going to rule and reign on the planet. We need to know that. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth. See, God gives us a warning. And he says this, kiss the sun. That word kiss means worship, pay homage to. What is God doing? He's calling every one of us to lay down our, our self-rights and say, we worship you. Or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. See, he's telling us, if you continue in your own way, it's destructive. For his wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you take refuge in God, you are happy. You will be blessed. Here on Palm Sunday, we see the real message that Jesus is trying to convey to the people. And Michael Wilcock helps us from the folly that we all tend to succumb to when we turn solely to the political processes as the key to social transformation. But as I said, solely and as the keys. What we need to understand is the real power lies elsewhere. We are tempted to reach for a crown when what we need to understand is the means to arrive there is through a cross. We think if we have power, we can change things, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. It works opposite to that. 
Michael Wilcox says it this way, Luke is concerned to bring out the real meaning of this kingdom. He turns his reader's eyes away from the ultimate glory to the suffering without which that glory will never be attained. The kingdom centers on the cross. He turns our attention away from political transformation of society to the spiritual transformation of the soul, which must precede it, go before it. If the kingdom, the kingdom must first come to the human heart. You want to bring transformation in this world today? What should we be doing? We should be doing what Jesus did. What was Jesus doing? Seeking and saving that which is lost. And when the church stops doing that, the society continues to deteriorate. It's really simple, guys. Let's get back to our mandate. Make disciples, right? He conditions us to think in terms not of immediate success and quick returns, but of long delay and protracted struggle. The kingdom must grow throughout its king's extended absence. What is he saying? True social transformation comes through the work of God's spirit changing the human heart. You know what I've noticed about people? Forget you can argue with people till you're blue in the face. It doesn't change anything. But you know what happens when the Spirit of God comes and brings conviction in that heart? Everything changes. Attitudes change. Ideas change. The whole way of looking at life changes. Your perspective changes. Everything changes. You want to see change? Bring the gospel to people. That's what brings about real change. So Jesus has come. And he's offering us a secure peace through him. So I'm going to have a stand as we close. And I'm going to just say, I'm going to say a warning. So I think we need to hear warnings sometimes to reject God's offer of love and forgiveness. Not only causes him to weep over us, but it leads to our own destruction. We're going to destroy ourselves. If we don't make peace with God through Christ, we will suffer terribly. Jesus is coming. He's coming again. And listen to what he said to us. And I'm, I want to speak to believers now. Uh, to, to the non-Christian person, I'd say, give your life to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest or peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Can I ask a question to the ch children of God? How many here say, you know, Pastor, my burden is not easy. My yoke is not easy. My burden is not light. I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world upon my shoulder. You know, years ago, this will surprise you, but Patty and I sang in a church, uh, Scott Wesley Brown's song, when, you know, carry the weight of the world upon our shoulders. Jesus came to carry the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And right now, you are walking in a time of great chaos. Maybe fear, distress, despair. I know that this is happening in the hearts of believers. And Jesus says, I want to give you a peace that passes all human wisdom because maybe you know, we think, God, deliver me from all my problems. I'm going to be preaching a series. I have one more sermon in Proverbs, then I'm going to go to 1 Peter and talk about that in this world, it's, you're going to have trials. God doesn't always take them away. But what he wants to do is give us peace in our hearts that you and I can walk through them. That you and I can gain strength. That you and I can model for people how to live life in a broken world. Isn't that better? That you and I can have peace and joy and hope in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and frustration. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're listening to me live stream, and you're going, you know, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I have peace with God, but I don't have the peace of God. I've lost it. I've allowed a lot of other things to come cranking into my life, and right now I'm all wound for sound. With every head bowed, right now I'm going to start with the believers. Right now, you're here. God's speaking to you right now. You can say, I don't have the peace of God right now. I've allowed a lot of other things in, 
and I have become frustrated, angry, upset. All kinds of emotions are raging through me, but I can't say I have a peace that passes human understanding. That's you. Just raise your hand right now. You know, if I could, I'd have you come forward, but I'm in COVID, so I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to have you raise your hand. I'm going to pray right where you're at, because we're going to believe God right now that the peace of God, we're going to exchange our frustrations and difficult emotional constitution, if I say it that way, the burdens, the fears, the apprehensions, the despair. We're going to pray right now. We're going to exchange those things. I believe we can exchange those things for God's peace. I want you to just lay them down at Jesus' feet right now. Everything that has been troubling you, just begin to name them in your mind right now. Put in your mind. Maybe, you know, it's, I'm, I'm frustrated with these relationships. I'm frustrated with the, the prime minister, or the premier, or the COVID, or I'm frustrated with not having a job, or I, I, I have too much work at my job right now. Whatever the issue is in your life right now, I want you to lay those things down right now at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, what I want from you today is a peace that passes human understanding. I want you to fill me with your spirit today. I want to walk out of here with joy and hope and peace in my soul right now. Just receive that right now. Just say, Lord, I receive that. You know, I was praying this morning. I feel like the spirit of God was showing me that he was going to do miracles in your heart. This is one of the greatest miracles right now. Just receive this miracle from God, the peace of God. Okay, some of you here today, Maybe you're listening to my voice. You say, you know what? I don't have peace with God. I have to admit, I've rejected him in my life. I've been living my own life. But I recognize it's led to destruction. And it's just got a lot of brokenness in it. And from this day forward, I want to I follow Jesus. I want to be like those early disciples. Maybe they, did, they, were, they were eagerly celebrating a little prematurely. But guess what? We're going to eagerly celebrate and it won't be premature one day. He'll come back. We'll be able to rejoice like never before. And some people will not be rejoicing when he comes back. That's you maybe today. You say, I want to have peace with God. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ this morning. And if that's you, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. All right, God bless you. Someone else today? Mark, did you catch that? Gentleman way at the back there. Just anyone else? It's important. We don't want you to get lost in the shuffle here. This isn't just, you know, we, we want to follow through with you. We want you to continue to grow in your faith. It's great coming to a service, but boy, it's really exciting to become part of the community of faith and begin to grow in this experience and begin to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. So let's pray today. To that individual, I just say, have you pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. And I give my life to you and just lead me from this day forward to follow you every single day of my life. God will hear that prayer and forgive you and transform your life. I believe that. That's what he did in my life. He'll do it in yours. He's done it in many people's lives. Lord, I just thank you today. You are the king of all kings. You're the king of peace. Lord, your ways are unlike humanity's ways. We live in an upside-down world, Father, and you want to right-side it. Lord, we think that, you know, we have to have power in order to transform the world. Lord, you came in humility and transformed the world. Father, I pray that we will get the right priorities, that we will be more concerned about the people around us, the individuals that are next door to us and in a workplace with us, and the people that you bring into our lives. Lord, I pray, give us eyes to see them as you see them. Give us compassion for them as you did. Help us to weep like you wept over the city, Father, when you saw that they were rejecting their only offer of hope. And I just pray today, Lord, that we would leave this place filled with joy and hope and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.